Hello, and welcome to the Park Dancing Radio Show. Today, we're going to do something just a bit different. You see, I just came back from vacation, and I had so many stories, so many things happen to me that I wanted to share with you. So, for today's show, it's just going to be me, Katherine Erickson. And pull your chair up, and let's get started. I have so much to share. The theme for today is opening the doors of perception. And let me read you this quote by the English poet William Blake. If the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to man as it is infinite for man has closed himself up till he sees all things through the narrow chinks of his cavern and again that's a quote from William Blake that really spoke to me because where we went on vacation was to Mount Rainier National Park and for those of you who don't know or not familiar with Mount Rainier it is the largest glaciated mountain in the lower 48 states. And what that means is that there is a permanent glacier of ice on the mountain. And people go to Mount Rainier to climb it in order to prepare themselves for climbing mountains in other parts of the world. So it's an unusual mountain because of its uh, topography. You have to use crampons, you have to use ice axes, There's all different things that, to get to the top of that mountain, uh, require a lot more than just climbing a 14er in Colorado, for example. So the reason why we went to Mount Rainier National Park was because my husband decided that he wanted to summit that mountain. And he's always been interested in climbing mountains. And this one intrigued him because of its unusual uh, makeup. So he found a guide service, and for the last six months, he has been training to climb that mountain. Every weekend, every Saturday and Sunday, my husband would go out on either stairs in parking garages or on a pretty steep hill that he found. And he would hike up and down, up and down, wearing the backpack that he was going to wear on the mountain, But the backpack was filled with about 45 to 50 pounds worth of either water or large bags of ice. Because you see that weight on his back would prepare him for going up to the summit of 14,314 feet. So he prepared. He spent a lot of time. He was very meticulous in his equipment and knowing exactly how to do things and what to do. So by the time we arrived... On the day of the climb, he was ready. He was absolutely physically in shape, mentally prepared, and he was ready. He had done everything he could to control what he could to get to the top of that mountain. Well, as it turns out, the group that he was with, uh, it was another family and then one other single gentleman. And they formed a very strong bond because they're going through this experience together. And they spent three days on the mountain. And unfortunately, 
on the, the morning of the summit. They have to get up at, at 11 o'clock at night, get ready, and then they actually leave for the summit at 1 in the morning. And at about 2 in the morning, they had a freak storm that hit them. And they're at 13,000-something feet. There are no trees, there's no cover, and there's no protection. And when a thunderstorm hits you above tree line in those kinds of conditions, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. So the guide obviously made the decision to turn around. And as they went back down, they were pummeled by 40-mile-an-hour winds, hail, rain, and a very slick surface. Remember, they're in all their climbing gear with this backpack on, wearing big heavy boots and crampons, which are those things that go on the bottom of your boots that allow you to walk across ice. And so my poor husband was having to go down in all this heavy equipment, not having reached the summit. Now, you may look at that whole situation and say, what was the point? Why did he spend so much of his time, his free time, getting ready for this big expedition, this big adventure, and then he didn't even reach his goal. He didn't reach the summit. Well, that's what I was thinking when I heard that they didn't make it. And the first time I saw him when he came down, I expected him to be, you know, gosh, gee, I'm so disappointed. But actually, he was so proud of himself. He knew that he was physically in shape. He could have made the summit. But it was forces outside of his control that prevented him. And there's nothing he could have done about it. And that, my friends, is a huge lesson to all of us. And I congratulate my husband for his attitude because he took care of what he needed to. He planned. He worked towards it. He had a definite goal. It was climbing up that mountain. And he did everything he could. So it was truly the journey of his getting ready for this climb, not the destination of the summit. And that is such a valuable lesson for us. I find myself um, setting goals and then perhaps not reaching them for whatever reason and then beating myself up for it. And that doesn't do anything except make me feel bad and make me feel small. So remember the lesson of the mountain and the lesson of the journey, not the destination. That is a very good lesson from the mountain. The other thing that I learned, because while they were up on the mountain, I had three days for myself. So what I did was I just hiked. I love being outdoors. I love being in the mountains. And Mount Rainier National Park is one of the prettiest places I have ever seen. And the weekend we were there, the wildflowers had already bloomed. And the weekend, our weekend, they had peaked. And what that means in the mountains is that there's only a very narrow window when you can see wildflowers at their most glorious color, their most glorious size, and their most magnificent appearance. And that was the weekend I was there. And I had three days to explore. So I started hiking those trails and discovered a lot about myself along the way. 
One of the things I discovered is that when you see your goal in front of you, no matter how tired you are or how much you think you can't make it, if you focus on that goal instead of how you feel, you will get to it. You will get there. And let me explain. I had this one trail that I was pretty tired. I'd hiked all morning, and this was toward the afternoon, and it was called the Skyline Trail. And this Skyline Trail goes around basically pretty much of Mount Rainier, and it has elevation changes, I think, of at least a 1,000 feet. And if my math is right, I think that's 10 stories, which doesn't sound like much, but when you're in a higher altitude of five to 6,000 feet, the oxygen is a lot thinner, and climbing 10 stairs or 1,000 feet, uh, it can tax you. It makes your heart rate go. And so, you know, here I am. I'm by myself. There's lots of other people around, but I'm not with a group. And I decided I wanted to get to the top of the Skyline Trail. Well, when you make that goal at the bottom of the trail, it seems feasible. But when you're midway up and your heart feels like it's about to come out of your chest and you can't breathe and you stop and you look around and you see the gorgeous view, the thought remains that, you know, this is good. This is high enough for me. I could go back down. And I almost did that. But then I would look up and I would see people, lots of people, up ahead of me on the trail at a higher point. And I wanted to see that higher point. So I kept imagining myself standing at that higher elevation and how much better that view would be. Well, it became a game. I kept going up and up. And every time I'd stop and even consider quitting, I would look at that higher point. Instead of thinking how tired I was or, or, or what, you know, who was I doing this for? And I am proud to say that I did get to Panorama Point and it was well worth it. So worth it. Gorgeous view. You could see almost 360 degrees. The Cascade Mountains were that kind of bluish gray and they just melted into each other. And then you could see Mount Hood and you could even see Mount St. Helens. Because remember, we're out in the Pacific Northwest. That's where Mount Rainier is. Um, it's just south of Seattle. And I felt like I could see forever. And for me, that was well worth it. Now, remember, though, I had not been training for this. I did not go when my husband would train on the weekends for his climb. So I, I probably wasn't in the best of shape to do this, but I did it. And that's what motivated me. Now, you may say, well, wait a minute. You just said it was the journey, not the destination. And here you are climbing, climbing, and always wanting to reach that destination. And there is a, a bit of a difference. I agree. I admit it. Um, my destination really was to see if I could do it. It wasn't that I got to the top. It was to see how far I could go. And so you have to be really clear on what your goals are and what you want to accomplish. And that is why I kept going up. It wasn't really to reach the top. It was to really test my limits. And when you cast it in that way, it makes perfect sense that I kept going. And yes, 
my destination was the top, but it really was uh, to see how physically fit I was. And guess what? I'm now back at home in the Flatlanders, in the Flatland. And um, yeah, I'm going to be hitting the gym here pretty quick. So that's the second lesson of the mountain. The last lesson I wanted to share with you is the danger of either judging yourself or comparing yourself to others. Because as I was going up that trail and seeing others ahead of me, seeing lots of groups, lots of families, lots of people who didn't look in any better shape than me, I instantly started to compare myself to them. And obviously I was at the bad end or the short end of the stick because they were ahead of me. But when I found myself doing that, I caught myself and said, wait a minute, they could be up uh, higher on the trail than you because they started sooner or it took them longer. I had no idea why they were ahead of me. So there was absolutely no reason for that comparison because I didn't have all the facts. I didn't have all the data. And just remember that when you find yourself comparing yourself to someone else, you don't know their story. You don't know their circumstances. You don't know what they did to get to where they are. So how in the world can you compare? The other thing I found myself doing was judging myself when I had to take frequent breaks and uh, water breaks. You know, you should be in better shape. Why didn't you train more? You should have gone out with him on the weekends. All that critical voice. Everyone knows it. Everyone has a critical voice. Well, my critical voice tuned up and was singing a song. Again, until I realized, wait a minute. I'm here. I just want to see how far I can go. It's okay. And once I said that, and once I could take a deep breath, it all relaxed. And you know what? I climbed a lot better. I was more consistent. I was more methodical. And I did reach the top just like I wanted to. So when you find yourself comparing or judging yourself to others, it's easy to stop. Once you recognize that you're doing that, just tell yourself that deep breath helps because that kind of forms a transition. And then just tell yourself, I am well, I am worthy, I am loved. And those affirmations, if you continue to repeat them, truly do settle down that critical voice and that judgmental voice in your head. And judging and comparison are huge examples of living from your head. And I can guarantee you that when you live from those messages in your mind, from your head, you will never be happy. And what I love to teach is to move from those messages in your mind to listen to the music of your heart. And when you begin to recognize and hear your heart music and start being with that music, living from that music, your life changes. And that's what happened to me. I've already been doing that. I've been teaching this material now for a little bit. But when I was on that mountain, in the zone, I'd already kind of passed through those levels of resistance and those levels of self-doubt and, and negative talk. And when I was in the zone and going up that mountain, I was happy. I truly was in the moment. 
I could appreciate the beauty around me. I could see uh, the marmots that came out on the trail. I could stop and enjoy the wildflowers. I was in the moment. And I truly could feel my heart space opening up to include this gorgeous beauty around me. And that's what I call heart dancing. Heart dancing. It's a way to live from your heart, not your head. So the other thing I wanted to share with you today is that I've just redesigned my website. And I have to say it's really beautiful. Um, if you go to katherineerickson.com, you'll find it. And my name is spelled a little differently. It's Catherine, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. And the last name is Erickson, E-R-I-K-S-E-N. KatherineErickson.com. Or I have a, a easier way to get there. Just remember to go to EmpoweredWay.com. EmpoweredWay.com. So using any of those two methods, go to my website. Check it out. It's really pretty. I spent a lot of time on it, and I also had a great web designer. And I'm happy to share her information for anyone who needs to have their website done. Uh, Carrie Green is out of uh, North Carolina, I believe. But she's very uh, intuitive. She loves to listen to you and hear what you say. And believe me, she is the most patient person on the planet. Because I had a lot of changes and a lot of suggestions. So uh, shoot me an email and I'll be happy to send you her information. And when you go on my website, you'll see a place for you to put your email and your name. And when you do that, there's a lot of benefits. I have a really, uh, it's, it's, it's good content. It's called Story Alchemy. And it explains my story alchemy process, which is a four-step process to help you transform any limiting stories you tell yourself and help you to find the lessons in those stories so that you can flip it around and tell yourself a new, positive, more empowering story. So when you uh, share your email address, I'll be sure to send that to you. I'll also send you what I call miracle tokens. And miracle tokens are bits of inspiration. And you can either share them uh, over social media or save them to your computer and print them. But when you start reading these, they're really, really good. And when I say share miracle tokens, it's almost like currency. The more you give away of the good stuff, the more it'll come back to you. So when you create that flow, when you create that, get into that abundance flow, you'll be amazed at what happens in your life. So what you can do with Miracle Tokens is uh, leave them with a tip at a restaurant or give them to a homeless person with a water bottle. Uh, where we live, there's a lot of homeless who are underneath the bridges. And um, I've tried to do that, carry water bottles because it is hot where we are right now, and uh, tape a miracle token around the outside of the bottle. And it makes me feel better. It makes me feel like I've spread love. And that's where I want to be, is in my heart space, spreading and sharing that love. 
So check it out. Miracle tokens are pretty cool. And the last thing for getting on my email list, you will be the first to know about the new e-course that I'm presenting and coming out with. So be sure you drop on over to katherineerickson.com or empoweredway.com. And thank you so much for listening. This has been the Heart Dancing Radio Show, where we learn to listen to the music of our hearts, not the messages from our minds. Thank you.